G'day, g'day, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Osnick Podcast. I'm still Ned, still in Melbourne, and I'm still in my bedroom, and yep, you bloody well guessed it, the Knicks still suck. Which might be an understatement, because I'd say they're a complete dumpster fire, and it looks like we may be imploding as we speak. It's been about two and a half weeks since I was here last. I decided it was time for a break from the complete and utter misery that is the existence of the New York Knicks and the complete and utter misery that is the existence of being a fan of the New York Knickerbockers. They have lost seven straight. They have a record of four wins and 17 losses. They have the worst record in the NBA. They are coming off a 44-point loss to the Milwaukee Bucks, in which they trailed by as many as 49 points. Yes, it was the second night of a back-to-back. Yes, you were missing two of your most important players in Morris and Nilakina. Nonetheless, it was an atrocious performance. It was disgraceful. And to see David Fisdale and Bobby Porter smiling after being down 38 points at three-quarter time, I wanted to throw my phone across the factory I work in and I wanted to scream. It's at that point. I can't stomach it anymore. Enough is enough. End the suffering. We have to make a change. Through 21 games this season, the 2019-2020 New York Knicks have a worse record than the franchise worst 17-win team from last season did. That speaks volumes. I'm not sure who it speaks mostly about. Management, coaching, players, all three, a combination of one or two. I'm not sure. There are problems throughout all of those areas, throughout the whole structure of the organization. Steve Mills, the president of basketball operations, said that this team would be graded on 10-game increments. Through the first 10 games of this season, they had two wins and eight losses. Through the next 10 games, they had two wins and eight losses again. Yes, there were some slight improvements in slight certain areas. Some players stepped up their game. However, those slight improvements, when you all add up, they weren't enough to alter results. This team still lost games. The same issues, the same problems, still reared their ugly heads at the same times as they always had. Two and a half weeks ago, when I was last here, the numbers have gotten worse since then. Some areas have gotten better, but key indicators, KPIs, key performance indicators, have gotten worse. The Knicks have these certain criteria that they grade themselves on, and it seems like those criteria must be god-awful if they continue to play this way. I know I've gone on off a little bit of a tangent, but I just had to. I, I can't take it anymore. Surely you can't either. It's just horrible. It's gotten to the point where I just say, wow, I'm not surprised. They lost by 44? Wow, not surprised. It's just it's a lot of points to lose by in a single game of basketball. I wasn't surprised. I didn't think they'd win. I thought they might lose by, you know, 15, 20. But to be down by as many as 49 in a single 48-minute game is... It's out. It's astounding. It's incredible. Like, give them a round of applause for being that bad. Anyway... As I said, compared to two and a half weeks ago, a lot of the KPIs have gotten worse. Things aren't looking up. These slight improvements can be probably attributed to the uptick in individual performance, as in Julius Randle, his point total has gone up. 
his efficiency has gone up. Overall, his overall impact on the game has remained about the same. Um, Morris continues to shoot the lights out, but um, despite leading the league in three-point percentage, he's the worst two-point shooter in the league. Um, Frank is going from strength to strength. We've seen Dennis have a bit of a resurgence here. But on the other hand, Mitchell Robinson has taken a step back. Kevin Knox has taken a step back. Wayne Allington can't throw it in the ocean if you're standing on a boat in the middle of said ocean. Like, there's just a lot of players who are underperforming, and um, I'm not sure whether it's to do with what they're doing or necessarily whether the coaching staff is putting them in the best position to succeed. I'm not sure where I'm going to go during this podcast. I have a lot of a lot on my mind, a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of pent-up anger, but a lot of pent-up frustration, which may come out at certain times, but I think I'll try and stay calm and composed, and I just want to run through some of the numbers and compare to where they were two and a half weeks ago and see where exactly things are continuing to go wrong. Unsurprisingly, the Knicks are still a train wreck offensively. They are still 29th in points per game with 102, just 0.8 points per game better than Orlando's 101.2. But they're last in efficiency at 1.008 points per possession. It's been in a pattern throughout the entirety of the season, in the fourth quarter especially. When the game is close, the Knicks continually buckle. Their principles get thrown out of the window. There's poor possession after poor possession. And if the Knicks actually had some semblance of brain activity, if David Fisdale had some semblance of brain activity, like if you took a scan of his head, there'd be nothing going on up there. Just nothing going on upstairs, is there? Their record might be slightly better if they could actually uh, had any brain power. But um, they don't. So all in all, they come out to being the worst, the second worst fourth quarter team in terms of scoring, but they are worth the last in efficiency and they have the highest turnover frequency in the clutch. An area where the Knicks had been doing well was in transition and on the break, but it's an, another aspect of their offense, which has fallen off a cliff. They're back to 28th in fast break points per game and 27th in fast break efficiency, and they're starting to turn the ball over more on the break. That's no surprise, considering Julius Randle's trying to play point forward, and he loves throwing the ball to no one. It's frustrating with the Knicks' offense, watching it, because they have areas where they're strong, but they just they don't go to it. They don't utilize it enough. Like, as I said, Marcus Morris leads the league in three-point percentage, but like, and that's contributed to the Knicks climbing up to sixth in the league in three-point percentage. At 38.7%. The issue is though the Knicks are 27th in attempts per game. As I said, it's an area where they are obviously strong, but they just don't generate enough looks. I think it points to Fisdale's lack of creativity or to drop anything other than a dick on his whiteboard. Like, for example, Wayne Ellington, we have all of two plays for him, and more often than not, they get blown up because they're too bloody obvious. As I said, we don't shoot a lot of threes at 27th in attempts. And what does that mean? We take a lot of twos. The Knicks have climbed from the bottom rung of the ladder to third last. Wow, what a climb. Like I said, it's one of those small improvements, but it's not something that's big enough to alter results. So they sit 28th in the league 
shooting 42.9%, but they're far, far and away the worst two-point shooting team in the league. Orlando has a whole 2.8 percentage points ahead in 29th. The Knicks are 27th in effective field goal percentage and 29th in true shooting. Wow, that's bad. It's just really bad. Just to rub some more salt into the wounds, the Knicks are last in two-point percentage, as I said. They're also last in paint points per game. You know what that means? They're taking a lot of in-between shots. So their most utilized offense is from mid-range inward, where their efficiency is just dreadful. And they're sixth in two-point field goal frequency. So they're taking a high frequency of two-point shots, but they don't make any. So yeah, that's just that's gonna that's gonna uh, give you a lot of success, isn't it, David? You know, maybe try and use your brain and draw up something other than a dick, like I just said. And yeah, nothing's changed at the free throw line. They're still embarrassingly bad, like really incredibly bad. They're dead last. 67.1%. Like, it's getting to the point where there's no relief in a player getting fouled and going to the line. I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, yeah, you know, one of two would be nice, wouldn't it? I wonder what that would feel like. Aside from those general numbers, d- diving more so into play types, they're still way too isolation heavy. They're top 30 in isolations per game. And also that although there's been a decrease in their ranking, one spot, the number of possessions is roughly the same. And I'll say it again, the teams ahead of the Knicks have legitimate scorers. There's Harden, Irving, LeBron, Davis, Lillard, McCollum, Giannis, Siakam, and others on the teams ahead of the Knicks. We don't have an actual isolation scorer who is proven, and trying to turn Marcus Morris and Julius Randle into them isn't it, like, at all, just at all, not it, don't do it, stop it, please, stop it. Anyway, as I said last podcast, it's an overused play to no tangible positive outcome. The Knicks are 29th in points per isolation possession, 29th in turnover frequency, so second worst, and they're in the bottom third of the league in field goal percentage and effective field goal percentage on isolation possessions. You might as well just Go and get your dog to give you open wound a lick because it gets worse. They're fifth in post-up possessions per game with Philadelphia, so Joel Embiid, the Lakers, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Denver, Nikola Jokic, and San Antonio, LaMarcus Aldridge, and DeMar DeRozan ahead of them. All of those teams, as you can see, have actual post-up players who can who have actual low post ability. Even the team's just below the Knicks, so the Clippers, the Wolves and Bucks, so Kawhi, Paul George, Carl Anthony Towns, Giannis, they all have players who can feasibly score points in the post. If you looked at the top 10 in post-up possessions per game, you'd say the Knicks are the anomaly on that list. We don't have anyone who is efficient in this area, and just like the isolations, they're laughably inefficient. They rank 29th in points per possession, 26th in field goal percentage, and 28th in post-up scoring frequency. All in all, they rank out as being the third worst post-up team in the NBA. Again, it's an overutilized play to no avail. They stink at it. But hey, the Knicks want to play hard like it's the 90s. Looks like their offense is too. Minus the actual goal of the thing, you know, scoring. You should try and do that some more. It's two of the Knicks' most utilized players are ones that cause stagnation. So the isolation and the post-up. Once the ball is in the hands of Morris or Randall, Portis, whoever it may be, 
if it's on the wing or the elbow or wherever it may be. Everyone stops. There's no off-ball movement or action. Everyone sort of runs to a spot and stops and then proceeds to never move again, which, yeah, it's not ideal, is it? So the next stagnation is evidenced in the cutting numbers across the league. They rank 29th in possessions ending in an action from a cut, so a shot, a pass, or whatever the action may be. The Knicks are actually improving on their conversion in a sense, ranking 10th in points per possession, which is well up from two weeks ago when they were 27th in this category. Again, their field goal percentage has risen from 54 to 65%, but it's still only good for 17th in the NBA. In terms of everything, turnover frequency, free throw frequency, the Knicks rank 9th in cutting efficiency. It's a shame the team doesn't actually move. And I think I've said it before, but it has to be by design. This team, this roster, is constructed of actual NBA players, veterans. They're not idiots. They can read the play. They know when to cut. They know what to do. But they don't. It's obviously an instruction from the coaching stuff. It has to be. It's just... But it makes your eyes bleed, so I might be seeing things wrong. My vision might be blurred by the blood. The Knicks are a team who like to get a player the ball coming off the screen, ranking 8th in possessions, but they're 28th in field goal percentage and have the 9th worst turnover frequency, and only the third... Uh, they have the third worst scoring efficiency. When it's all added up, it equates to the 26th best in the league. So again, it's another heavily utilized play where the Knicks stink. They're not good at it, but they continually do it. Um, I don't know whether it's the part where it's it's RJ Barrett coming off the screen and his ability to finish at the rim is quite poor at the moment, or um, he puts his head down and gets into traffic and turns it over. The same three things apply to Julius Randle as well. I don't know whether it's those two distorting the stats or whatever it is, but you know it could be, could just be that. An interesting to statistic, and by interesting I mean disgraceful and uh, painful to look at, is the Knicks have the third highest frequency of shots taken off of two dribbles and the highest frequency of shots from between three to six dribbles. So that's essentially an isolation or a post up or a a drive coming off a screen, a few dribbles, and then a shot. Unsurprisingly, the Knicks have the worst field goal percentage in this situation and the highest turnover frequency. So I think that the, the the numerical value, the number of dribbles, the 3-6 to six one is the most concerning part because, as I said, that's basically an ISO or a uh, post-up. So, yeah, it's just it's disastrous to watch, isn't it? I can't bear to do it anymore. The Knicks are also horrible when going to the basket. They reached the fifth first drives per game with the worst field goal percentage and the worst free throw percentage. So that's after getting fouled on drives. And they also have the highest turnover percentage. It's just a disaster. Like, what is one of the more fundamental offensive players and one of the more fundamental offensive aspects of the game of basketball, driving, the Knicks make it look extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. All in all, with the Knicks' offense, when you add everything up, they generate the sixth least amount of wide-open looks. They also sit in the top half of the league in tight and very tight shot frequency. Essentially, the Knicks take a lot of contested shots, isos, post-ups, and not enough open shots, the threes, which they're actually good at, evidenced by their three-point attempts per game 
and their rate. The stagnation is further evidenced by being third last in assists per game, with the team having the third worst assist to turnover ratio, and being 26th in potential assists per game. So I'd say everything taken into account, it matches the eye test. What you see live when watching the game is what is showing up in the data. You, the Knicks don't move. The offense is just completely stagnant. No one cuts. Um, Julius Randle doesn't pass out of a double team. When he does, it's to the opposition. Um, I just, wow. Again, like I said, wow. I'm not surprised by it anymore. It's just, it's painful to watch at this stage. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say anymore. I don't, I'm... I'm left speechless by how they continually continue to run. Continually continue. Hmm, not sure about that one. But yes, I'm shocked that they continue to run the same plays over and over again, game after game, with no success. No success, you say? Yes, well, being last, being second last in points per game and worst in efficiency, yeah, that's not successful. That's That's... Um, failure, especially considering the offensive talent you are meant to have on this team. Um, but people try and look at the positives in these situations, and there have been some individual spots of brilliance. Marcus Morris is shooting, as I said, 51% from three, um, with a like 70% clip in his last seven games. Um, unfortunately, as I said, his shot selection is poor, and he's shooting 30%. 36% rather, on 8.92s per game. And 18% of his shots come from deep twos, which he's only hitting at a 30% clip. So that's essentially your, your Marcus Morris isos and post-ups, which he's uh, really, really bad at. Um, something that I'm happy about is it seems Frank Nilekina has found his pet shot. Um, you see him do it a lot. He'll come up the floor and then um, he'll get a screen on the right wing. He'll be going left then he'll be taking a pull-up jumper from the elbow. So 25% of his attempts come from this sort of range, around the elbow, mid-range, and he's hitting them at 56%. So he's shooting them well, and he's taking a high volume, and he's shooting them well. So um, analytics say if you are bad at mid-range shots, you don't take them. Um, if you're good at mid-range shots, you'll feel, feel free to take them. So Frank, uh, feel free to uh, keep taking those shots. Um if you continue to make them, that is. Um, I think his passing and his vision is has been quite good, and it's. I think it's a really big improvement from where it was from his rookie year to last year. I think a lot of it's got to do with confidence. He's more confident in his abilities. Um, he's making some some excellent passes, which like he wasn't making, he wasn't taking the risk of. And um, I think against Toronto, he had a bunch of really good passes where he's penetrating and throwing like one-handed whip passes out to the perimeter. And um, we've seen him push the pace a bit and take his defender and give Taj Gibson a little little dump off. But unfortunately for Taj, um, he's failing to make layups this year. He's shooting 61% at the rim, um, which is the worst mark since his rookie year. So mm, not great from you, Taj. But anyway, as I said, Frank, um, he's answering the bell. It seems he's in career best form. And, well, I, this isn't a hot take. I think we're at the point where I can safely say Frank Nilekinder is better than Dennis Smith Jr. At least he is at this point. He's been better this season. So um, that makes me happy. Makes me very, very happy. So as I said, 
Um, those are about the only two positives I can find. Uh, Marcus Morris shooting threes at an outrageous clip and also Frank Nilekina not being historically tragic on the offensive end. Um, as I've said before, I'm emotionally invested in him. I have been since the draft. I do not know why, but yes, his uh, good play makes me very, very happy and it's probably the only thing keeping me going at this point. As you can quite clearly see, the Knicks' offense is woeful. Um, it is a crime against basketball. It is a crime against the beautiful game. Um, you could make a YouTube video as a parody to the Spurs' beautiful game and saying the um, the ugly game for the Knicks. It's it's that bad. Um, they overutilize isolations and post-ups, which they're very inefficient at. They aren't using anyone correctly offensively or they are but it's to a very limited degree Julius Randle isn't doing anything that he was good at last year which is thoroughly disappointing because it shows that David Fisdale didn't watch any tape which would uh, would, would explain his very poor catching uh, nonetheless um, sorry for that tangent about Fisdale I have a lot of thoughts on him anyway yeah the Knicks offense stinks um, I don't see it getting better anytime soon um there is no hope for this Knicks offense. They'll have the random good game every now and then where, they, where they're hitting shots, but they are far and few between. They're so far and few between that they're second last in points per game. That hasn't changed since two and a half weeks ago. So obviously things aren't changing, are they? So if things haven't changed in two and a half weeks and they haven't changed in 21 games, haven't changed since the start of the season... Well, then they're not going to change anytime soon. I think I repeated myself basically, but yeah, I just want to hammer it home. The Knicks offense isn't going to change, and I don't know how much more of it I can take. Anyway, I'm going to take a quick breather, and then we'll come back and look at the defensive numbers. Ooh boy, are they bad. I was going to say the Knicks are a weird study defensively, but they really aren't. They rank 12th in opponents' points per game, but I think once you dive into the numbers, there are some clear and dangerous warning signs. Well, not warning signs anymore. They're just issues. They're just, yeah, issues. They're not warning signs anymore. They'd be warning signs if it was early in the season, but um, it's been a pattern all year long. But I think a more accurate representation of the Knicks defense is their defensive rating, which is ninth worst. And, um, yeah, I think... That's mainly to do with the Knicks' pace because they play at such a slow pace offensively. And then defensively, teams have probably worked out that um, with enough ball movement and enough precision um, and just general average basketball, you can just break the Knicks down because somewhere along the line from the 16 to 24 second mark of the shot clock, there'll be a collapse, there'll be a breakdown, someone will be left open. Um so yeah, I think it more so speaks to the, the Knicks' slow pace. The defensive rating is more accurate representation compared to the actual just numerical value of points per game. The overall number also might be due more so to some just individual brilliance and talent. Um, I don't think it has anything at all to do with the system. Like We have Frank, Marcus Morris, and Gibson all starting their very, three very solid defenders. Then we have Mitch coming off the fence. But oh, one thing. When we have... Frank and Mitch on the floor and we play zone that is the that is an actual crime against basketball the Knicks offense is a crime against basketball 
but this one more so might be a crime against basketball. It's insanity. Frankie is one of the premier perimeter defenders. I think I can safely say that now. And Mitch is one of the premier shot blockers and rim protectors in the league. Like, that's embarrassing that you, you're that inept at coming up with a competent defensive scheme that you have to resort to a 2-3 zone, which I only played because I was coaching 10-D basketball, year 10s, D-grade basketball, so the fourth team. I was only doing it because they had no clue. NBA players have more clue than that. It's just embarrassing. Like, it's not something they just wrinkle in there to change things up. It's like, it's a legitimate defense they want to play. They played it against Charlotte. Charlotte didn't hit any shots in the first half, but they got carved up in the second half. Then they played it against Toronto a few games ago and got lit the fuck up from three-point range. Speaking of threes, the Knicks' opponents are shooting 38% from three-point range, which is the third-worst mark in the association. Doesn't help when you concede the ninth-most attempts and the third-most makes in total. Yeah, it's just shocking. Like The scheme is a joke. Protect the paint at all costs. Why? Why are we collapsing? Like... The perfect example I can come up with was when I was watching the Toronto game. On the Raptors' like second or third offensive possession, we double-teamed Marcus Gasol, who was posting up. He was a solid 15 feet from the basket, with his back to the basket, yet we double-teamed him. Um, just for reference, he's averaging 6 points per game, and we doubled off of Fred Van Vliet, who was shooting 38% from 3. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we collapsing everyone into the paint? And why why do you want to concede wide open 3? So... The Charlotte game exemplifies that tenfold. Like, the Knicks did it all game, and then the Hornets took the open threes. As I said, didn't make them in the first half, but got hot in the second half. They got hot because they're professionals. They're paid to shoot the basketball. That's ultimately what caused them to the loss. The defensive strategy of simply hoping or willing the opponent to miss is depressing when you think about it. Just, you decide you're not going to contest the shots. You just hope Hope they're going to be cold this game. Hope they're going to miss. It's just sad. It's a sad state of affairs. The Knicks, as Clyde would say, play defense with their hands rather than their feet. Well, most of them do. Um, the Knicks are 29th or second worst in fouls per game. And they concede the sixth most made free throws per 100 possessions. I think that speaks mostly to the amount of shooting fouls the Knicks give up, which talks to the lack of communication and the amount of breakdowns we suffer, mainly due to the god-awful system David Fizzfail has put into place. Um, Double-teaming players in the post, collapsing everyone to the paint, switching everything, that's the worst one because you're taking someone like Mitchell Robinson out of the paint, which is where, where, as he's the really good shot blocker, you kind of want him to be, don't you? Anyway, um... And then, yeah, the switching everything, that means you're taking bigs out of the paint. Uh, so the interior defense is absolutely horrific. Opponents shoot 64% within six feet of the bucket. Good for third worst in the league. And it's made, yeah, as I said, it's made more just depressing by the fact that you have Mitchell Robinson on your team. So it is avoidable. That percentage is easily avoidable. But, yeah, we'll just continue to switch him out onto the perimeter, continue to let him foul three-point shooters, Continue to let him foul perimeter players. That's just horrible. And then it doesn't get much better from within 10 feet of the bucket with things conceding the 7th worst percentage either. 10th, 
seventh worst percentage either. No, um, they just concede the seventh worst percentage from within ten feet of the bucket. The Knicks don't fare well in the hustle categories either. They contest the twenty fifth most shots in the league, with their two point contest rate being the second to last. They're fourth last in charges drawn and sixth last in deflections per game. Just all in all, like I said, the overall numerical counting value of the points per game seems okay, but it's deceiving. The Knicks are useless on the defensive end as a team. They can see the wrong type of shots. They decide to defend the wrong type of areas and shots. They can't defend without fouling, and simply they just don't have the required effort for the required period of time. They can't put a full 48 minutes together, let alone a full 12 minutes together, let alone a full 6-minute stretch, let alone a 24-second shot clock together. They always manage to have breakdowns and concede wide-open looks late in the clock. Just don't know what to do anymore, so... Yeah, I just want to harp on it. People keep mentioning the overall number being, oh yeah, it's top half of the league, but everything else is just dreadful and it's in the bottom third of the league. And I feel as though eventually things are going to catch up to the Knicks. As in recently, over the past week, we've played two good teams in the Raptors and the Bucks today. Um... And they just poured in points upon points upon points. Um, the Knicks couldn't do anything at all to stop them. And um, what I'm trying to get at is that coming up, the Knicks are playing a bunch of good teams. These good teams are going to score at will against the Knicks. Um, they go out west for a stretch, so we already know that um, every aspect of their game is going to go down another notch as they go out on that road trip. So... I think the numbers will continue to slide and the the points per game numerical value will get worse and be more indicative of just how bad the Knicks' defense is. Anyway, as you can see, the Knicks, they're just a train wreck all over the place. Um, I'm going to take another quick breather, go and get a drink. Throat's a bit sore for some reason. And then get into some possible solutions and what... Well, not solutions, but some things that need to be done and could be done. It's become increasingly clear that David Fisdale is not a good fit. Oh, good fit, why am I moving polite? It's, it's become clear he's shit at his job. He's paid to be a head coach and he's not very good at it at all. Um, there is no discernible identity for this team, offensively or defensively. I think it began last year with the excuse that there was going to be no returning players or there's going to be too much turnover for him to establish a system, which was a complete and utter crock of shit because, let's see, we had Nilekina, Knox, Trier, Dotson, Robinson. Those were five players, and then you had Dennis Smith come along halfway through the season who they were all supposed to be six young pieces who we, you were going to try and develop. So six players is almost... That would be half of a playing roster with, you know, three being DNP, CDs, or inactive. So six players is half of an act, pretty much a playing roster. Um, that's more than enough to uh, install a system and um, try and develop an identity. And I think we've seen um, this season that 
the change in system and ident well, there's no identity, no discernible identity. The change in system offensively and defensively has really hurt some of the younger players. Um, Trier can't get on the court. Kevin Knox um, has struggled to be on the court as of late because of his defensive um, impact, which is uh, non-existent. I think the change in defensive system has meant Mitchell Robinson has been nowhere near as impactful as he can be defensively, nowhere near what he was doing towards the end of last year. Um, as I said before, the switching and getting him out on the perimeter, that's just not going to work. He's an elite rim protector. Let's keep him in that area. Um, yeah. Um, I didn't think we saw what Frank's substantial minutes coming. It's a bit of just luck on his behalf with some teammates going down. But, um, yeah, I think the change in system has really hurt some of the younger players. And, yeah, there should have been a coherent system installed last year. But... Maybe there wasn't just based solely on the fact that David Fistel didn't have one to install. He just had nothing. He couldn't conceive of anything, couldn't create anything. Um, so, yeah, I think he's had a bunch of excuses along the way. He's spoken about that we have a lot of new faces, a lot of new pieces. But that's just the NBA in general. 50% of the league turned over over the offseason. Everyone's in flux. Players are always coming back from injury, being injured, being called up from the G League, or, you know, as of late, some people seem to be being suspended. Yeah, but anyway, um, just a bit of a cheeky shot at John Collins, DeAndre Ayton, and Wilson Chandler, who are all on the gear. Yes, so anyway, yeah, the NBA as a whole is constantly in flux. Players are always moving. Players are being waived, traded, this, that, the other. That's not a good enough excuse anymore. Back in the days where teams hardly, players didn't move as much, and if a team had a complete overhaul, then yeah, it's a fair excuse. But today, everyone's in the same situation, so it's not, it's not a, a feasible excuse. Um, he's just trying to cover up the fact that he's an idiot and doesn't have anything to offer as a head NBA coach. So I think it is time. To move on from him, I think the Knicks... And what's even more embarrassing about this is that the Knicks did such an extensive search after they fired Jeff Hornacek that, what was it? It was more than 15 people they um, interviewed and took into consideration. And they came out with uh, Mr. Potato Head with glasses. That's what they came out with. And um, he's just not very good at his job. So, again... It's going to be hard to do the thorough search in season, but um, maybe I think Mike Miller would be the ideal replacement as the interim coach or the caretaker coach because he, in the G League for three seasons, he had outstanding success. And the G League is a place like the NBA where you have players going up and down, injured, um, you know, you're impacted by the travel and the... Um, accommodation, it's not, not the same as the NBA, so things like that, but the offense was always very good, despite all the changing pieces, the the Cornets, the Dotsons going up and down, up and down, and the defense was solid, so I think he's someone who is actually going to be able to install um, a system and give this team some form of an identity going forward, and then long term, just... You know, someone from the Spurs pipeline, they always seem to pan out well. Like, 
James Borrego is overachieving with the um, the Hornets at the moment. We I think we looked at Becky Hammond and I think she's gonna she'll be the first female head coach. Um, maybe the Knicks can make history with that. Who knows? But um, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the numbers. Dave Yeager is a name that's been thrown out there, and then just based off the raw um, win totals of Sacramento, you know, it seems like it would be a solid fit when you look at look at the pieces that the Knicks have in that they have young point guards similar to um, Fox, not in terms of play style, but um, well, Dennis Smith likes to get up and down the floor, and he has a lot of bounce to his game, and you know, Frank sometimes pushes the pace. Um, but yeah, and then some young bigs in, they have Bagley, we have Mitch, different players, but you know, again, they like to run the floor, both of them, so I think, you know, he's someone who could maybe do something, I'm not sure, I haven't looked into it enough, but yeah, just a general safe guess or safe uh, suggestion is someone from the Spurs pipeline, they always seem to pan out, um, and they seem to be pretty right-o as coaches, and coming from Pops, tutelage, um, it's always a safe bet, isn't it? It has to be. But you never know, maybe the Knicks would be the one team that would manage to fuck that up as well. Um, ruin someone from the Spurs pipeline. Wouldn't put it past them. So aside from the head coach, um, it is time for Steve Mills to go. He's been the common denominator through the last two decades of misery. Um, I'm... I don't know the specifics of what his role is and what he's done and intervened in or not said a word about. But obviously, he's been here. The misery started when he was when he got here and he the misery's continued all throughout his tenure. So I think, yeah, time for him to, you know, move along. And I think we need a president of basketball operations who's going to be more active and more involved in day-to-day operations and more... Um, in touch with making moves with the general manager, Scott Perry. I'm I'm still unsure because I thought from the position that he took took over the club in, um, I thought he did a reasonable job. The clearing of the cap space, all that was that was good and dandy. But again, he wasn't able to capitalize on actually utilizing said cap space into turning that into star players. So, um, you know, it was all built on that he he was. The one who drafted Kevin Durant, he was part of that team. He was meant to do that. He was meant to be, you know, tight with the players. But obviously, that materialized to sweet fuck all. So maybe, maybe it is time for a complete overhaul of the head coach, the GM, and the president of basketball operations. Uh, Dolan, um, he's never going to sell the team. But for so for years and years, people just wanted him to take a back seat to not do anything. And to his credit, he's done that the past six years mostly um he's butted his head in here and there like that really shitty interview he did um last season where he couldn't even name the young players but yeah um maybe he's taken too big of a back seat and let too many things slide which is which is a possibility but um and maybe with a team and with a front office and a president who is as incompetent seemingly as steve mills is Maybe you need an owner who is willing to, who knows the game of basketball, who knows how things work in that sort of uh, business world and um, to be more hands-on, in a sense, in um, making those personnel decisions, hiring the right people. Um, that's something to take into consideration that 
when Dolan was overbearing and he was making basketball decisions, he was horrible because he didn't know the game of basketball. And now that he's taken a backseat, maybe he's slid too far back in his knowledge or his lack thereof of knowledge about basketball and operations of basketball and of front offices. Maybe he he's letting too many things slide, too many things go. Um, I'd say that's what it is. Like, there's no middle ground for him. He, if he's too involved, the Knicks will make the wrong decisions. If he's not involved enough like he's at the moment, we make the wrong decisions, which seems to have happened. Um, you know, Steve Mills and Scott Perry are always talking about the vote of confidence they get from Dolan, um, but maybe that's just Dolan saying, yeah, 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 do your thing, and him just um, going back to JD and the straight shot. So, um, but yeah. It's such a difficult position because we need to revamp the front office completely. It needs to be overhauled. Um, but the person who usually does that is the owner and company and his uh, group will do that. But Dolan knows jack shit about it. So um, overhauling and yeah, it's just a tough... You, you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole here because... Yeah, it's just, it's a absolute shit show and absolute clusterfuck of personalities and people up there in the, the higher-ups of the New York Knicks. Anyways, yeah, as I said previously about the defense where things have been out, it's because the Knicks play a bunch of good teams. They play the Denver Nuggets on Friday evening in the U.S., is it? Or is it Thursday? Maybe it's Thursday night. I'm not sure. Let me check. Let me check. I'll do it right now. The New York Knicks. Yep, there it is. We lost by 44 points to the Bucks. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah, okay. Look, we played the Nuggets on Thursday evening in the US. Friday morning here for me in Australia. And then the Pacers on Sunday night. No, Saturday night. Sunday morning for me. Then the Knicks go out west for three. Uh, I think they'll get absolutely mauled by the by the Trailblazers next Tuesday. Then they play the Warriors next Wednesday, and then next Friday they play the Sacramento Kings. That'll be um, we might concede 150 points that game, and then the next game um, on Sunday. Evening against the Denver Nuggets, we may concede 175 points. Yeah, things aren't looking up. That's a very tough stretch, and it would not surprise me if the losing streak went to 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. If it went to 13, our best bet is beating the Warriors, honestly. That's our only hope. Because after that, then we could beat the Hawks, but you never know. We're just that bad and kind of lost all hope, to be honest, at this point. So... This is another episode of the Osnick Podcast, all done. I've been Ned. We've made it to the end. Thank you. You get my stats up. I really appreciate it. So if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, it is at Ned7821. If you'd like to follow my professional journalistic account where I uh, post um, numbers uh, void of opinion um, and statistics void of opinion, that is at Ned underscore R-M-I-T, that's the university I go to, um, 
that's about it. I'll catch you next time. Cheers.